Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 29. Today, we are talking about the movie The One I Love in segment one, and in segment two, we're talking about our favorite Saturday Night Live skits, because it's the 40-year anniversary of Saturday of SNL. Yay! Yay. So, uh, <laughs> so that's, our, uh, that's our episode number 29. I am Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Cullen. And we are three guys with PhDs who like to talk about film, culture, media, and other cool stuff. You can find us at that'sarapshow.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rap Podcast. We're also on Facebook. Just do a search. You'll find us on Facebook as well. Uh, we welcome reviews on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and any other podcast catcher that you use. But we really do appreciate uh, reviews on any of those. It helps us uh, kind of keep going and, and be uh, discovered as we are hopefully being discovered continuously. So this is the uh, what we call pickups. This is the first part of the episode where we just chat for a minute before we get into the meat of the, of the thing. So what's up? Anything new with you guys? Uh, you know, I just wanted to say, building off of your last comment about um, how, you know, we're trying to find a, a listenership that extends outside of the confines of our own country here. Just a shout out to Jorge for... For sending us this, uh, you know, really generous and quite complimentary email, which we all just really appreciated reading, and makes us very happy to know that some, you know, people in Australia are listening to us and and recommending awesome beers to us at the same time. And so, thanks a lot, Jorge. <laughs> really appreciate it. And and again, if you have any suggestions for topics you'd like us to cover, you know, we're all ears. All ears. Yeah, that was a, that was a nice email. Uh, across the globe, I guess uh, Australia, just about. Yeah, anyway, pretty darn right? far away. So, yeah, yeah, it was very nice to hear. Good stuff. Uh, I don't know about you guys. It's uh, October. I'm in the middle of a uh, of a pretty strenuous semester. We've got Halloween coming up here in in the United States, which is always a lot of fun. Um, and then we roll down into the week into the holidays. You know, November and December. It's going to start getting cold here in North America, and uh, and just kind of I'm bracing. <laughs> <laughs> for the for the you know for the coming cold weather and everything else. What about you guys? No, we've already had it here in New England. Um, yeah. We've had some, yeah, we've had some really nice nice cold weather. Um, actually, we have a cold front coming in next week, um, so we could potentially get uh, potentially get snow. Yeah, they're talking about that here um, Friday too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised. I think it'd be kind of funny. Um, but the semesters, uh, it's going really, really well, but very, very busy. And, uh, we have, um, but we are in our peak fall color. So it's, it's a, I, I, I take the Massachusetts turnpike straight to work for those of you who live in New England. And it is a, a really, really nice drive, very mountainous and lots and lots of seas of brown, orange, and red. So it's a, you know, it's a great drive. So fall in new england has set in and it is everything that everyone said it would be that is that is fantastic 
Yeah, it's really looking really nice around here too, um, which is which is great. Um, although the leaves are falling fast, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's good. Hey, you know what? I, I forget to mention this. I had a student come to visit me in my office hours the other day, and uh, he said that he listens to the podcast. And uh, we were just chatting about it. <laughs> he said, I, I hope I get this quote right. He said something to the effect of, it's like being in class, but with but uncensored or something oh. like that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uncensored. Yeah. That's great. It's yeah. like being in class, but uncensored. Like I that. said, yes, especially the ones that we record in the evening, which, of course, listeners have no idea which ones we record in the evening or the afternoon. But mm-hmm. uh, the ones we record in the evenings, I'm generally drinking. I know you guys sometimes are as well. Well, so there's, sometimes, there's, there's sometimes, also that, yeah. which I usually am not in when I go to class. So <laughs> usually, okay, never. Eric's usually not drunk when he goes to class. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> uh, what's up with you, Nick? Man, I got I got nothing new. You know, good. Uh, nothing new to report. <laughs> just um, you know, nothing new. Just status quo. Good. No news is good news, I always exactly. say. Absolutely. Um, as far as movies, I saw Gone Girl recently. Mm-hmm. Didn't like it. Yeah, I know. I saw your Facebook post, and I was like, Eric's in the minority on this one. But then again, I haven't talked to anybody that I often talk uh, film with a lot that saw it. I've just read and heard from, like, Buzz how great it is. You're the first person. Yeah. That said, you didn't uh, care for it. That I frequently talk to about film. I've I've not read the book. Uh, I still might read the book because it looks like it's got a pretty interesting plot. But the the movie's good until about the last half hour, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And the last half hour, I was like, really? <laughs> <Didn't work for laughs> you. you know, and it's got that Fincher feel. You know, it's got that Trent Reznor score. Mm-hmm. You know, much like uh, Girl with Dra- Dragon Tattoo did, mm-hmm. which I loved. Mm-hmm. But um, man, at the end, I'm just like, I just, I don't know. Funny you should say that. You remember me. that that day that we, side note, we were in Best Buy, and you know, I uh, I think Girl with the Dragon de- Tattoo was down to like twelve ninety nine or. Something, something reasonable on Blu-ray. It had been out for a while and the price had dropped. And we both looked at each other and I'm like, man, I picked it up and I was going to buy it. I don't know if you remember this or not. And then I said, yeah, I, I, remember, I remember saying, only one problem. And you're like, what's that? I'm like, I don't want to see it again. <laughs> it was like, no, I, I loved it. And I loved it just like you did. It's just that. It's not a real pleasurable film, you know. It, it's uh, it's kind of hard hitting. It's hard, yeah, Chris. It's hard hitting, and um, it, it's been brutal in many ways, and cold, and isolated, and rough, and depressing, and sad, and uh, you know, it's yeah. There's a lot of cinema. And, and it's cinema. like, and I remember looking. At, yeah, it's good cinema, absolutely. But I remember looking <laughs> to, to Eric, going, you know, like. What's my? I'll buy this and like, how often am I going to watch it? You know, I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go grab you know the Caddyshack Blu-ray or something like that. Yeah. So talking, would you ever teach it, Nick? What? Would you ever teach it? Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan of both versions, big time. But I just no. It's I mean, as, for my own personal collection, you have to sort of take in some sort of uh, 
surplus value account, right? Like wh- how will, you know, what sort of like value will I get out of this exchange of my labor for capital, which I'll exchange for this movie. And then it's going to sit there because <laughs> I'm not going to watch right. it. Right. So uh, it's just, you know, there was money, it was money better spent elsewhere. <laughs> That's true of most DVDs I buy. I don't, I buy them and don't watch them. But I'm not. But you're also. I don't have kids and I don't live with anybody. <laughs> I watch movies yeah. all fucking day. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. Yeah, no, that's a good point because I don't, I don't own Girl with Dragon Tattoo. I don't think I do. Um, yeah, I don't think I do. I'm looking at my, st- my, at my stack. I don't, I don't know. If, I don't think I do. But you're talking to the guy who, you know, whose favorite director is Truffaut. You know, so I don't mind being sad. But. Um, but yeah, but as good as Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was, Gone Girl is almost as bad. It's uh, it, it especially like I said at the end. It's uh, I don't know. I, I found it disappointing. But you're right. I think I am in the minority on that one. Yeah. So. I've been hearing a lot of positive buzz about it too, and I, I haven't really read a lot of the reviews. Um, you know, it's just I think the rough thing is. Whenever you adapt, you know, two summers ago, that's what everybody was reading, right? You could walk through pretty much any airport in the country, and two summers ago, people were reading Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. So when you when you get a book that that's that is that fresh in everybody's mind, and is is kind of that current, you know, you 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 run that risk. I know you said you haven't read the book, but I mean, you know, people when especially because people love the book so much and Jillian Flynn was directly involved with it. But I would argue though that, you know, people when Girl with the Dragon Tattoo came out, I did read that book and all three of them and people that was pretty current at the time as well, right? Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I think. When was it? when he had, I think so, right? I think it was still in the, like there was a time I know Nick used so. to work at Barnes yeah, and Noble. Sure. There was a time where that was always on the front shelf on oh, the yeah, front yeah, table yeah. when you walk in, right? Oh yeah, and, it would stay um, on the bestseller forever. And there was another movie already. There were already three movies. Yeah. Out, you know, uh, in um, is it Swedish? Sweden, Sweden. and Sweden. in Sweden. So he had a novel and another film <laughs> to be compared to, you know, and and you know, I think he did a decent job. It's hard to compare, though. You know, we talked about adaptations back in episode number five or six or something like that, and how difficult that can be. But yeah, I see what you're saying, Chris. But I'm not coming from it from a point of view of like, oh, I read the book and it's not a good ad- right. adaptation. Right. I, I have a feeling that the book's probably pretty good. Uh, I just don't know what the fuck happened on the <laughs> at the end of this film. It was just, I don't know. Don't, I'm not saying don't see it. Oh, I'll, I'm anxious to Go see, see it. it. Go see it. Oh, yeah, I'll see it opinion. too. See it, I'm, for sure. I think my issue is, is um, and this doesn't affect his work as a director, but I think you remember me telling you that I felt that as, as much as I admire David Fincher, he is kind of like senior pissy pants these days. Um, and <laughs> senior. <laughs> senior PC pants. Yes, he's kind of, um, I don't know, like... I think it was in Side by Side where uh, I, I found him oh. to be kind of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I think you've already said it. Senior pissy pants. Senior pissy pants. <laughs> um, are, you, are you saying he's a Debbie Downer? Debbie Downer, senior pissy pants. Uh, he was. Um, I'm, I know there's a perfect word. It's not. It's not uh, acerbic, although that's not bad. Um, hmm. He just. Uh, I, I can't. I, you know, watch side by side. And you'll see what I mean. He he seemed overly um, sort of grinding uh, an axe with like film <laughs> and, yeah, and, yeah. and cinematographers that he had had it with. 
Uh, and uh, maybe it was the way he was edited. I don't know. But it kind of yeah. made me think, geez, man, like, why don't you just be lucky you make a lot of money and get to make films and not complain? <laughs> yeah, I you know, know. There are those right? of us who are like seven, <laughs> six figures in debt who are earning nothing. So, <laughs> yeah, your whole job is to make films and people love them. I mean, yeah. come on, dude. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we, we did talk about side by side in uh, previous episodes. Some mm-hmm. people want to hear our, uh, our, discussion of that you can search for uh through some of our older episodes on side by side but uh yeah i know i do remember that nick that's that's interesting no he makes good films though. i i enjoy his i enjoy his work it's just uh, this one this one didn't work out for me but hey whatever you know what are you gonna do what are you gonna Can't, do not complain what are you gonna do exactly exactly oh yeah so that was that um anything else you guys man no, just I guess kind of status quo, you know. Good. Well, the good news is we get to talk about a really interesting film, uh, the one I love, and if, with a very interesting distribution model. And then we get to talk about Saturday Night Live, which you know is always a laugh. So <laughs> that's the good news, and you guys get to listen to it. Yay! Yay. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll, segment one's coming up in a second. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. We'd really appreciate it. talk about the one i love now this is a movie directed by charlie mcdowell uh here in 2014 a very very odd movie starring mark duplass elizabeth moss and uh and ted danson for a few minutes as well uh it's um it and they really are the only three actors in the film so i wanted to watch this film because partly because I'm interested in the distribution um, model that they that they use for this, because I, I I think it might be a good um, model for independent film, and partly because I'm really interested in the Duplass brothers. Uh, I really like a lot of their stuff, uh, which we can get into a little bit uh, later, perhaps. But um, I, I I'll see almost anything that they do, and the Duplass brothers. Uh, produced this film they didn't direct it but they produced it um so that said now this movie is going to be really 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 impossible to talk about without giving away ample spoilers so i think we should talk maybe first about maybe the premise but also maybe start with the distribution model in case people haven't seen it so they can listen safely for a little while before going to see it what do you guys think that's good i i I made sure to listen to the podcast that you forwarded to me that interviewed um the people from what was it is it radiant yeah radiant radius 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 Radius, yeah radius and and um and of course to uh charlie mcdowell in the second part so yeah i'm ready to talk about them me too me too that's fine i think that's a good model though yeah, so um, I'll I'll link to that. It was the uh, KCRW is the business is what Nick's referring to, and uh, I will link to that in the show notes at that's a wrap show dot com, and um, you can you can check it out there. It's it's not very long, but 
basically it's the same company that uh, distributed Snowpiercer. And they did it in, in much the same way. They did a day-and-date release where it was out in theaters and um, video on demand almost uh, simultaneously. Uh, the way I understand it, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick, because it's been a while since I heard that podcast. I think they started out – I think they released it on VOD before it was in theaters – but they, it was really expensive, if I remember correctly. And then the price went down. Uh, yes, the, Ex- the, that's correct. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, um, and, uh, I think it was Sundance. They said at Sundance, they it got them a little bit, uh, <clears throat> unsure about how to do this all because they enjoyed the, um, uh, the bu- the buzz that they were receiving about the film, and then people started sort of like on on the news and word of mouth started talking about it and, and, and saying we really want you to go see this film, and they kept certain spoilers out of it. Um, so they weren't yeah they weren't entirely sure, but then they yeah they partnered up with Radius and they did exactly what you just said. But they're very they're very uh, I think they said they were very um, upset because they just there's no way to real, to really track. Uh, VOD numbers all that right. well. There's no real transparency. Um, and as part of that model right now, they have the, the, the infrastructure's there, but nobody's doing it. And so it's hard to, hard to gauge how well the film is doing. Right. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no structure in place like there is for, um, for box office at, at mm-hmm. theaters and stuff like that. There's just but buzz. It sounds like they think. Yeah, but they sound like they. It sounds like they think they're doing well <laughs> at any rate. Right? Yes. Um, yes. I I remember when Day and Date first came to my attention. It was, um, gosh, I don't know how many years ago now it was. Maybe five or six, maybe more. Probably more. With um, it was with Steven Soderbergh's film Bubble, which um, it involves people working in a dial factory, and it's <clears throat> in a really small town. Very one of Soderbergh's very small, cheaply made films. And he wanted to do day and date, and most of the major uh, theater chains were like, no. And they basically would not carry his film. Uh, the only one that did nationwide was um, was uh, Mark Cuban's uh, Landmark. Landmark theaters were game to do it, but no one else was. Because so, the, right. the, the theaters thought they were going to lose a lot of money if people could just stay home and rent it so they they wouldn't play along and you know no one's heard of bubble now of course i don't know if anyone would have anyway it was uh 2005 i just looked it up but um so it's nine years ago so i think things might have changed since then i think maybe uh maybe theaters are more willing to 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 experiment or maybe or maybe it doesn't matter with with these smaller films but um I think it's a good model for independent filmmakers because it gets the buzz as you guys are talking about going. You can you can see the film. You don't have without having to drag yourself and your family out to the theater, right? It serves people in rural areas, people who don't have lots of theaters in their towns, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes a lot of sense. Keeps the buzz going. It really worked yeah. for Snowpiercer. Sure. And did. when you look at the the models of the way people are watching films nowadays, I mean. Granted, you still have box office attendance, but I think you're getting more and more people who are getting frustrated with the box office, more frustrated with the the, the superhero deluge that you're getting. So you you people are looking looking for other other forms, and they're they're looking at it from a portable in a portable context. So you have things like the Chromecast, you have things like smart TVs, you have the iPad. You know they they want to watch films in other ways, and and VOD 
is a perfect way to do it. And they don't necessarily, like you said, they don't have to go out and they don't have to necessarily always pay movie theater prices and everything that goes along with going to the movies, which for a family of, you know, even, even a family of three can get you know, 50, 60 bucks. That gets expensive. I still don't think there's any substitute for the theatrical experience. No, there the problem, isn't. The, the Definitely is, not. Is that, but we're also cinephiles. Um, not yeah, everyone pro- feels the, this way. The, the problem is that um, there's too much strategizing that has to go into getting to the theater and what time you're going to go and how, what you're going to pay and how crowded is it going to be and how much bullshit do you have to put up with of, of people who are uh, lacking common sense or even basic screening etiquette. And that is a factor for every single person I know. It's, I may suggest we go to a film and we have to sit there and say, all right, let's definitely hit the 11 o'clock. Nobody will be there. We don't have to deal with X, Y, and Z and it'll be cheaper. So yeah, I mean, I agree this is an alternative, a viable alternative, uh, distribution and dissemination method or model. And it, and it does, as Eric said, I think tend to, um, nicely meet the demands of the independent. Uh, feature and in terms of, you know, making it, um, a viable creative outlet, but also sort of synergizing that with the industrial aspect of it, which is to make it a, a viable economic model. Right. Right. And I, I don't, and I don't, I don't see the next Iron Man coming out <laughs> on day and date like this, you know, the, mm-hmm. and, and just from what you guys have just said, I, I can see why the theaters would balk at this, you know, because right. basically what you're saying is taking money out of the theaters and into people's homes. But the truth of exactly. the matter is, I think that most people just wait anyway. Like if you're going to see it in the theater, you're going to see it in the theater. Right, mm-hmm. and if it's available right. on both, like for this one, for example, I could have seen it in the theater, or I could have seen it on VOD. I saw it on VOD. If I had to right. wait, I would have done what I did with Only Lovers Left Alive. I waited and saw it on VOD. So mm-hmm. it didn't, it, you know, it didn't right. hurt. It doesn't hurt anything it, 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 for most people, you know, because if if you want to see the new Iron Man film, you're going to the theater anyway, probably. Right, but that's that's a major that's a major production company. They they they're not gonna they're not gonna do that. But I can see why theaters might not do this. Well, well not to mention you have. I'm sorry, Nick. Go on. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chris. I was gonna say not to mention you have two completely different demographics too. I mean, for Iron Man, you have a very specific group of people who go to the theaters on a Friday night with their friends to watch a movie. Mm-hmm. For the one I love, for Snowpiercer. Or you know the, these are art house films. Let's yeah. let, let's face it, they're they're catering yeah. to people like us. So when well, speaking of Snowpiercer, yeah, it's funny because um, uh, they didn't. I mean, they did a they, it was weird the way they did that. You know, we talked about it in a previous episode, but um, on that podcast, they talk about how it, it only played in eight theaters nationwide for a two week yeah. spectrum, and then went on to VOD. So. And then they even brought it up and asked uh, the producer of the film, do you regret not, not having a longer theatrical release because it's got a 99 or 95% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is like ridiculously high. And he's like, no, we don't regret it, but you're absolutely right. We might have made even more money and we've made a lot of money on it <laughs> if we yeah. had gone for it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but they don't know. 
you know, they and that's know. the bottom line. Is they, they might have, but they don't. They're not sure. They, they don't know. Well, um, and and it's it's all about the the P and A prints and advertising too. I mean, that whole front end marketing is can can be twenty five million dollars on a on a hundred million dollar film. So, and often right. is right, right. And and so I mean, there are a lot of reasons for on the production side to go this way. There are a lot of reasons, you know, for. Uh, for an independent or smaller filmmaker to do this, but I could see why why theaters might panic. But I mean, you, we've talked about this before. I love the theatrical experience, but it's hard sometimes. And then also, I don't um, Chris, how many theaters do you have from where like from where you live? How many theaters do you have within a fifteen mile radius? Oh Lord, um, well, I I have one, and it's it's mm-hmm. a um, it's a Cinemark. Um, it's never busy. Um, but I should also qualify. I live in kind of a small town area of central Massachusetts outside of Worcester. So you get closer to Worcester Springfield. And of course, definitely near Boston, you have, you have larger concentrations of big name theaters, but the closest art house cinema is in Northampton, which is where Smith college is. And that's, that's quite a ways. I mean, that's that's west northwestern Massachusetts, and uh, that's that's quite yeah. a drive for me. Oh yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a. I mean, I'll, I'll plan yeah. on going. I'll definitely plan on going to see films there, but it's I'm gonna have to plan it out. It's not something I can just do on a whim. And that's kind of my that's kind of the point too. Is not just that you know that people might choose VOD over over the theater but some people just cannot make it to the theater especially for these smaller films right if you're in a rural area or you're well mostly in rural areas i suppose but or if you're not in new york los angeles or chicago <laughs> right mm-hmm. you you have to wait anyway for the theatrical release so i think it, i mean as a consumer i like it a lot um and it seems to be working for at least for the this this distribution company yeah it is. There's no question. At least they think uh, so. Um, yeah. So let's get on to the movie. Um, it's, yeah, it's a tough movie to talk it, about because uh, spoilers almost enter into it almost <laughs> very quickly. almost immediately. Yeah. yeah, the spoilers are in the premise basically. So true, if true. you have not seen the film, you might want to see the film before listening to this. If you don't intend to see the film, then why are you listening to this podcast? Um, <laughs> but, but anyway, but um, um, if you don't want it ruined, and I think this might be the type of film you don't want ruined, because I had it ruined a little bit from a different podcast, and I was kind of bummed that I did. Did you guys go in blind on it? I went in blind, but had it figured out. I mean, everything figured out very early. Yeah, me too. But you didn't know before you press play. No, no, correct? I knew nothing about it before I pressed. Yeah, play. you did. Okay, yeah. Before you press play, you knew nothing. See, I I knew before I hit it. I knew what was okay. going to happen at least in part. No, I knew nothing. And the premise, it's very twilight. It's very twilight zony, and it it's really within the first ten or fifteen minutes yeah. that you get the premise. But it's so odd, you know. So anyway, I think we've. Giving people enough chance to to tune into a different podcast or <laughs> or press stop, right? Um, basically, Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss play a couple who are in therapy with Ted Danson. Um, not the Ted, I mean Ted Danson is playing a therapist, <laughs> and um, he sends them to this um, resort. I guess mm-hmm. it's, retreat. it's a house with a guest house retreat. Yeah, it's a better way to put it. 
and they go to this um, house out in this remote area, and it's got a guest house, and a pool, and all this other stuff. And they they're just trying. You know, he has cheated on her, and they're trying to reinvent their marriage um, in a lot of ways, and it's not working out. And it's like you know, typical end of relationship kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But once they get to the place, it ends up there's, I guess a for lack of a better word, a duplicate couple of them. So there's another um, Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss, basically. They're basically uh, the they're doppelgangers. Yeah, they're doppelgangers. Yeah, so Sophie is her character's Ethan. name. And he's, Ethan. Um, Ethan, thank you. And, um, and so... The the trick is apparently, if she goes into the guest house, she sees this alternate Ethan. <laughs> if he goes in, he sees this alternate um, Sophie, and they're kind of like ideal versions of the other person, right? To to a to a large extent, is that a good way to put it so yeah. far, guys? Is yeah, that's premise? perfect. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah. So they start to rekindle their marriage in a way you know but with kind of with the other couple the other the doppelganger i guess we can call it um it's really really strange it only has these two actors through 90 percent of the film um and it's um it, it, yeah i'll let one of you guys take it from here for now well um i have some things i want to say about it but i was really intrigued by Chris's comment to both you and I in, a, in an email the other day. Do you want to expand upon that, Chris, about how, as a couple, uh, watching the film as opposed to, say, just me, single single dude watching it, how you how it was interpreted with your significant other? Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> watching this film. Well, first off, and I, 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 should, um, I should also clarify, I'm divorced. So I've been through marital therapy. So at the very beginning... That immediately kind of was like, oh, I've, I've been through this before. I've been down this road. But then um, when they go off to the retreat, the, you know, the, the, the way they deal with it and the things that come up in the film, I watched it with, um, with, with my girlfriend, Heather. And it, it, it really it, – I even recommended it to my students. And I, I said kind of as a caveat, if you've ever been in a long-term relationship, um, you need to watch this film. Uh, you know, because we watched it, and, and and Heather and I are planning on getting married, so you know, we and we it, we brought up some interesting things, especially like when um, you know they come to this agreement when they when they decide that they're going to explore this whole idea of the doppelganger, they they kind of have these ground rules, right? Okay, you can only be with the doppelganger for fifteen minutes. You can't have sex with the doppelganger. Um, yeah, you know, and, and and no one's you're not allowed to spy, and of course these rules go completely out the window. But you know, it, it brought up these really interesting conversations, like, wow, what is it? What is it like to be with the best part of your partner? And does that would would you want that, or do would you want your partner with all of their flaws, with completely intact, but with all of their flaws? You know, so it. it it was a really it, it it led to some really cool um discussions and I, I I think it's going to continue. We're actually going to watch it again. And uh it's a really cool thing to do if you're if you're in a um a relationship, just to watch it with your significant other and, and, and see how 
they respond. I, uh, Eric, I don't know if you watch it with Rebecca and what her thoughts would be or, you know, if, if you guys watch it together. Yeah, we did. We watched it together. And uh, it was uh, – we both enjoyed it. Uh, it was – she. I, I knew a little bit about the premise before we started and she did not. And um, – we uh we both really liked the film it was it was you know we were both kind of creeped out by it it was bizarre but yeah um yeah i mean i can see it being like kind of a, a little bit of therapy because it makes you talk about things a little bit or think about like, how sure the relationships does. work how do you heal from particular wrongs how do you um y- you know what happens when you drift apart and you know i could yeah i could definitely see this being a couple's movie in a lot of ways i'm glad i watched it with her you know we didn't have like it was a, very real yeah yeah and that's and that's really important because like we didn't have like a dialogue afterwards about it or about a relationship or anything but but yeah, that's the thing for it being so bizarre it's very real as you just said and i just kind of stepped over you but um, they represent the couples very well. I they think represent the beauty a of, contemporary of, of state of marriage is and, that... and relationships very well. Yeah, yeah. Did you feel it, find it to be r- real, Nick? T- too real. Uh, I, I had a few minor problems with the film, but uh, they were they were really minor. Um, I found that. <coughs> oh, geez, I'm, it's hard to organize my thoughts on the film. The I, I appreciated the risks it took with with writing Mark Duplass's character Ethan. It's basically a giant douchebag. Um, he's just really not all that likable. Uh, he's his insecurities sort of fuel the narrative. It's all it's him sort of enforcing his will on and controlling mm-hmm. the situation. Not to mention he's transgressed the relationship prior with his cheating, and um, they kind of show him to be a dick right off the bat when he says. In therapy, well, fine. I'll never, I'll never think of anything, you know, original. It's like when they go and jump into the pool and it doesn't work, he gets up automatically <laughs> defensive. And I thought in the first five pages, you're setting up him up to be a bit of a dick. So you better be careful. But they were totally fine with making him kind of douchey. Um, because underneath it all, still a, a decent guy. He's just a very insecure one and, um, who really is, is still very much in love with his wife. And so, I loved that it was brave and on enough, honest enough to do that. Um, and, and so I wound up really, that was one of the hooks that drew me into the film was that these characters came warts and all. And that's what made it so believable and so real, despite the sort of like Twilight Zone, uh, premise of the entire thing. And so I was kind of, I was really hooked. Uh, I guess if I had a problem with the film and I don't really, it's that I almost feel like it, it sort of felt like it had to, um, you know, the film kind of treads along, is a fusion of multiple genres. You know, it's got a little bit of the, you know, straight up drama and it's got a little sci-fi and a little fantasy, a little, um, what else? A little bit of like a Agatha Christie thriller in, in certain parts of it you know like because <laughs> yeah. you know like there's this great locked room scene where you don't know what's going to happen and and it never bothers to explain certain things and i think we're fine with that like you know how do these people look like and sound like we never get an, a real explanation we get we get the idea that they've been training to do this but you know so and then we also get the idea that there's like a lot of technological things going on around them which would would, yeah. would aid in sort of like digital projections or holograms or holographs or whatever. But I think it, the film 
almost felt compelled to give us some sort of narrative closure <coughs> via genre expectations. And I thought mm. that, that part, when, when we get to the end and you, I think everybody sees a mile before what's going to happen, I thought, are you going to do that? Are you going to, are you going to end it like that? Are you going to go you, there? You're going to do one yeah. of those? Because I, I think there. we're all expecting you yeah. to, and it'd be, I think, more interesting if you don't, but they do. And I don't know if they did that because yeah. of market expectations or whatever, but I still think it's a, it's a really unique and really interesting Thank film, you. and I'm really glad I watched it. Yeah, there's certain things I don't understand about the end. Like, not the very, very end, but like about exactly who those people were, how they got there. And whether that was the plan, their plan all along, I guess we should, at the very least, we won't give away the end, I right. suppose. But, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't too clear on some of that. And most of it, I didn't care. Right. It didn't really matter. Who you cares? Know? But, um, I really wish they had kept uh, the kind of the premise of the, that Twilight Zoney premise. I wish they'd kept that going. I wish they had not ended it the way they did, especially because there's that really neat little uh, moment <clears throat> right right when they get to the house. And you guys remember, Ethan picks up this frame, and it's a photo frame of all of these people saying, sure. oh, loved it, rekindled my marriage, he proposed. Right. So I thought about that as they're getting into the doppelgangers. And I'm like, well, mm-hmm. does every... Does every couple who goes there have a doppelganger and it forces them to do this? Which is what I wanted to happen. I wanted that to be the case. Yeah, I agree, Chris. That was the, the, they kind of like jettisoned the idea of therapy in favor of sort of like genre expectations. I right, think, or, right. That's spot um, on, Nick. I and I, I agree. And I kind of felt, I kind of felt unsatisfied by 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 the end. It's like really, oh, we're we're stuck here. We gotta find. I mean, if really, it's it's like. It's kind of a cop out. Why don't have you know? You had a lot of balls going into this, doing this type of a film, the way you did it, and setting it up right. this way. Why don't you just run with it and run with that with a bit that? more? And yeah, because then we're sort of thrown some predictable curveballs towards right. the end, and then the idea of therapy is kind of because they had such potential with this therapy idea of dealing with the ideal idealized sense of the other you know right and and it kind of just it, it kind of peters out t- towards the end right i i have like, to i have to we're completely all doomed um i you know now you're it's like the <laughs> indiana jones in the in the last crusade and now who's going to watch over the the um <laughs> the, the grail. holy grail yeah Sort of like now they're stuck there, and I thought you didn't. I mean, but I'm rewriting the movie for these guys. This is the movie they made, and I thought it was you know a really, really exceptionally cool film. I felt like, I mean, had I been writing it, I would have taken it a slightly different way. I guess you know a, a little less market driven expectations, and maybe whatever that means. You know, a little less hooky towards the end. <coughs> I don't know, Eric. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I the end was was puzzling to me, as I already said, and there's I have questions about it, but I don't know what the genre expectations you're talking about are exactly because which which genre are we are we putting this in? That's just it. See, it's sort of like it 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 wants to. So in that the last third, the climax mm-hmm. is sort of like we get we get into this locked room scenario where he starts he goes to the trash and finds. Like how these people have been uh, 
practicing to become yeah, themselves, right, right. become them. And then we, and then Chris says, like, then suddenly, like the 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 fourth wall shatters, and they all get together and try and work out their problems. And then we find out that very quickly she sort of says, "Oh, well, he was not supposed to fall in love with her." Right. And I'll do whatever right. I have to do. It started to feel like genre contrivance, you know, like right. you're trying to sort of wrap something up that you don't know exactly what to do with. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I, love I think you. that I no, I think you're right. I feel like there was they didn't know maybe how to end it. I don't know if that's a <clears throat> genre expectation necessarily, but it it does become something else in that last third. Yeah. And it's it, yeah, I mean it's kind of it becomes a different movie in that last third, and it's not as satisfying as the as the setup, you know, the first two acts. Mm-hmm. But um, right, I don't know what else they would have done. It's the old, it's the old screenwriting paradigm that you know or, or that you that you tell that we tell people or tell students. It's like don't don't set up something that you can't finish. It, well, you know, I guess if they'd been braver, Chris, it would have been like, it, had they been really bold, we would have had sort of the uh, the under under the skin devil may care fuck you i'm yeah. this is the script i'm writing because in this one it feels like they felt almost obliged by market pressures or things like that but then again if they're doing vod what's the big deal to to wrap things up and then of course you had that ending which i found to be <laughs> unsat as as eric said unsatisfying and and why would she just fucking stand there as he grabs the wrong chick so well <laughs> that part i found kind of interesting actually because there is this whole I, I, I'm trying not to spoil the 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 end end, but there is this whole like who's gonna stay and who's gonna leave, and the one thing that I didn't understand was is was the plan for both of the original couple to leave, or was it the plan to break up the new couple? <laughs> I don't know either, which is why I, I don't subscribe to the genre expectation thing necessarily, because I don't. I don't feel like it's a genre film. I mean, it does mix a lot of genres, but it does feel like they're trying to wrap something up. I don't know if it's for market forces or not, because it's kind of a open ending in a way, especially that very, very ending. And it, it, it's, it's confusing to me at the very end. But they, they do wind up defining the, they, they define the film for you. And I think for a long time it was so, it was undefined. Yeah, like and that was, was saying fun. earlier. And yeah. that was fun. And then when it becomes defined, yeah. I guess by genre expectations, what I mean is um, not only a little hook or a twist, you know, spoilers, but um, just sort of the idea that they had to sort of spell out certain things. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I was fine not having you spell out a lot yeah. of stuff and just focusing on this therapy here. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was the meat of the movie. And that's why I'm suggesting that maybe it was the industry itself that said, you've got a great first two, two acts, now figure out how to end yeah. it. And they just yeah. figured out how to end it. I don't, I don't know. That's I possible. Be, you know, that's certainly totally possible. Wrong. And it's, it's possible that they didn't know how to end it and based on their own internal you know, kind of writing process. You know, <laughs> they wanted to wrap it up. But yeah, it does start in therapy. Like the very, very first scene is them in, in couples therapy mm-hmm. with Ted Danson, right? And they go to this right. thing, and it's within like ten or fifteen minutes that that you discover the double. So it's not you know, and you spend right. most of the film not knowing, and not really caring, in a way, because like you said, you want to see what happens with this couple. You 
have now have stakes in it. There's no more stakes. You know, even though he's kind of a douchebag, he's starting to come around a little bit. And you're seeing an idea. <laughs> right, yeah. exactly. Right. And you're starting to see an idealized There's right, a wonderful version of him. Hold on where she says, Hold on. go into the bathroom. Remember that, okay. Eric? I'm, I'm getting a lot of echo, so I don't... I don't know if you're bu- trying to bust in or not with what I'm saying, so I can't. Um, I, it's hard for me to hear. So um, all I was saying was that even though he was kind of a douchebag in the beginning, he starts to come around. You have this idealized version of him, so you see what he could be, maybe, right, according to her. And you kind of want them to work it out, right? Is that what you guys are getting at in a way? I was going to say exactly. When, she, when, when she's like, oh, can you go get my, my toothbrush? And he's standing there waiting for her to come in. And he's like, just give me a minute. And he's like, mm-hmm. I know I'm a douchebag. <laughs> you know? that, that's like the emotional through line for the whole film. And then I kind of yeah. just, they walked away from it after that. And I was well, like, yeah. And then when they, when you get to the point where they, they, they look and the other couple is sitting right there at, mm-hmm. you know, at the dinner table. For me, that was the point where I was like, oh, God. They, they 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 just they 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 ruined it because all the magic you know all the you know whenever he went into the house the door was locked or when he, whenever she was in there and he tried to get in the door was locked and whenever uh, another member of the couple went in you you or and they did they they walked out you couldn't see him anymore you know that 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 whole twilight zoney that I just I loved that they took a romantic a couple's drama film and they went in that direction. They were so bold, and I, I loved it. And then, you know, they, Chris, I didn't really have a problem with the two couples uniting. I yeah, I didn't uh, like. I kind of felt that that was inevitable or something like you know. But like, yeah, I think I just was hoping for a different treatment of their because there's some interesting <clears throat> things that happen when they, have, yeah. when they initially come together. Uh, you see, sort of like the passive aggressiveness of the alternate Sophia and uh, or Sophie, excuse me, and you see the Ethan's doppelganger sort of pointing out how douchey he is and um particularly in the poker scene you know when he's trying to read him and um you know and he sees how Mm -hmm. easily he can call his bluff and finds out what the tells are that's all i thought like intricately written and plotted not plotted but intricately written and there's the beat structure is great and it reveals character it was after yeah. all that, I think, that I kind of... I, I agree. I, I think that all four of them together is interesting because um, Sophie number two is jealous mm-hmm. of Sophie number one and yeah. Ethan number two. And Ethan number one is also jealous. So Ethan, so there is right. an opportunity there for Ethan number one and Sophie number <laughs> yeah. two to kind of, you know, kind of team up and, and, and try to break this thing up, you know? Um, but to me, the, it was it was all set up when... Um, Sophie really took to it. She's like, I want to go over to the guest house all the time, and Ethan never did. He was he always wanted to play yes. detective or be confrontational with Sophie number two, and uh, try to figure out what was going on. And that to me was, I, I don't know. I kind of would have liked it if he would have explored like the way she was, but because it became so lopsided, that set all the rest of the mm-hmm. stuff in motion. Which which to me He's makes so the insecure. third act not as objectionable yeah. as maybe you guys think it is. Um, I mean, I still have problems with it and questions about it, but I don't. I think it was all set up in the beginning. You know, it just makes her look like the bad guy at the end. You know what I mean? Like she's the one that wants to leave. She's the one who wants to fall in love with this alternate version of him, and he wants her back desperately, and she she kind of refuses that, which is creepy and weird. So, but yeah. 
I just, you know what? I, 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 it's just everything. It's the end end, which left me going, ah, <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. It's kind of a, yeah, I, I get what you're saying on that. It's a, it's a twist and it's an interesting twist, but it's kind of a, you kind of saw it coming. Boy, did you. you I telegraphed that one like, yeah. a, like a, you know, oh, yeah. punch. Big time. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Now, I, the other reason I wanted to watch this film is because I've been watching a lot of the, um, I've seen a lot of the Duplass Brothers films. So these guys, Jay and Mark Duplass, and they've co-directed some films. They've co-produced some films. Um, Mark acts, as you know, obviously. Um, and um, I think Jay acts in some things as well, but it's mostly Mark. You know, he's in the league, the the, the TV show. Um, he was in Safety Not Guaranteed. He's in. Oh yeah, remember uh, Zero Dark Thirty? He's in Zero Dark Thirty for a minute. Mark Duplass is, and. Um, so, I saw the first movie I saw of theirs, I think, was Cyrus. Have you guys seen Cyrus? No. No. Okay, so um, Cyrus was 2010. It has um, um, that, what's his name? C. Riley. What's his first name? Um, John C. Riley. Michael C. Riley? John C. Riley. John C. Riley. John C. Riley. It's him. Yeah, John C. Riley and Jonah Hill are in it. And Jonah Hill plays this kind of spoiled kid who. um, And John C. Riley tries to date his mom, and he's like kind of evil. And I know you've seen trailers for it at the very least. It's really weird. So I went back and watched The Puffy Chair, which is. this kind of their first uh, film from 2005, which is kind of a. You know, Mumblecore, they're, they're kind of part of that Mumblecore movement. Mm-hmm. Cheaply made film, realistic dialogue, um, a lot of improvised dialogue, um, stuff like that. And it was <coughs> pretty interesting. So I, I've, I've been kind of following their career a little bit. And um, have you guys seen Jeff Who Lives at Home from 2011? No. With, um, no. Who's that tall guy? Mark Siegel. Mark Siegel, is that his first name? Um, uh, the tall dude is in, in Knocked Up. <laughs> Whatever his name is, last name is Siegel. Um, okay. it, all very interesting films, all a little strange, all a little twisted, all pretty cheaply made. It seems you know, with only a few actors, and so that's what, another reason I wanted to watch this. And this, none of them are as weird as this. And they didn't, they didn't direct this. Charlie McDowell did, but um, it it's, it fits the bill in a lot of ways of this kind of. They they've been doing things in Hollywood or outside of Hollywood that I think have been kind of game changers in a way. You know, they've they've made some really compelling films outside of the okay. system, and now they're starting to enter the system a little bit. And I think they're doing things with this distribution model, with the shooting style, um, acting styles, the way they write scripts, stuff like that. That I think are really interesting, and I think. Fi- define an alternate way of doing things in Hollywood. And the fact that you guys haven't seen any of those movies is kind of interesting because none of them got any press. <laughs> they didn't get the, the advertising. You know, maybe Jeff Who Lives at Home did a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, have you heard of those films? No. No. Uh, what was the first one? Uh, well, Cyrus, Cyrus the Puppy yes, Chair, that, Jeff it. Who Lives at Home. Nope. Only I've Cyrus. heard of Cyrus, I think. The others I have not heard of. Yeah. Uh, which, which is kind of interesting because I think that they're, they're flying under the radar to a, to a large extent. 
and they shouldn't be at all. I think people should see the one I love just on principle. <laughs> and then, you know, Jeff Lewis is actually really good. Um, Jason Siegel, that's the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason Siegel plays this kind of stoner, lives in his mom's basement, and he believes that everything's connected, and he's going around looking for these connections. It's really, it's kind of funny. It's, 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 mm-hmm. it's very endearing in a lot of ways. Cyrus is twisted and weird. Puffy Cherry is a kind of a family drama, um, very cheaply, you know, kind of done on the fly with, with, you know what looks like a consumer level camera you know lots of zooms and shit you know that that annoy you but um so i you know i think that they're worth paying attention to these guys which clearly, is clearly yeah you know, i if this is their coming out party uh or or arriving at the uh, you know at the, on a larger stage i think they've done a great job the premise alone and um the writing well with the exception of of course the caveats i had about the third act um are really impressive, man. Really I agree. Impressive. Yeah. I'm not sure that this is their coming out party because I don't think this is going to be any more popular than any of their other stuff. Right? Well, it could be. Um, you know what I mean? And plus, they didn't I write they didn't it, write or direct it. Yeah, they just produced it. So we have to keep that in mind as well. Oh, right. Yeah. This but was uh, Malcolm McDowell and... Uh, Charlie McDowell. It's Malcolm's his son. son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Malcolm McDowell's son. And, and then... Um, I guess he's Ted Danson's stepson as well. Really? Yeah. Um, what's her name? Uh, you, you guys know the actress who's his mom, too. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, they met on uh, uh, the Jack the Ripper okay. film in the 1970s. Yeah. Oh, and Ted Danson, Mary Steenberg. Yeah, yeah, and Ted Danson then married her. Yeah, Mary mm-hmm. Steenberg. Yeah, that's his mom. And then um, she married Ted Danson. So he's he's got he's he's so that, got yeah. the, pedi- the pedigree, you know what I mean? Uh, the film pedigree, pedigree for sure. Yeah. But I'm glad we watched it, and and in particular, I'm glad we framed it around this concept of um, of marketing strategies as well as release strategies, uh, VOD, and um, it's it's very interesting that we've done two two podcasts related to this topic mm-hmm. lately. Um, because and and how often are we the three of us as well as people we know renting things from Amazon or from Voodoo or from or, you know uh, Red what the hell's that <laughs> Redbox Redbox yeah. Redbox um, you know it's um, I don't know how permanent these things are I don't know what the future holds I just know that traditional the I mean talk about you know, we don't. We're, we've gone to a printless society. Everything is is digital projection now. So, I mean, that's that's a big change in in the industry um, in terms of a technological upgrade. Uh, so, when they talk about P and A, prints and advertising right. and marketing, there's no prints yeah. anymore. We don't have to really deal with that. Um, so, yeah, well done. It's. Uh, I'm glad. I think that no, I I agree. I agree. You know, but I want to dig just a tiny bit deeper because. This would have come and gone, and Nuss would have seen mm-hmm. it if I hadn't heard about it on a podcast, <laughs> a different podcast. I heard about it on the Slate's Culture Gab Fest, mm-hmm. right? And I think that all three of us, and I think most of our listeners, if not all of our listeners, are looking for interesting cinema, stuff that's not Iron Man 3, mm-hmm. and all we get pushed in our face over and over and over again is Iron Man 3, yeah. Right. And I liked Iron Man 3. It's a fine movie. Right. But um, so the question then becomes, how do we find movies? How do we hear about them? 
Where how do we get hooked into the buzz, right? Um, and how do we find them, right? Now the finding part's easy. Once you know about it, we just rent it on Amazon, or I I rent, mm-hmm. it, I rent it on Amazon. I don't know how you guys did it, but um, Amazon because I'm, I'm a Prime member. Yeah, same here. And then, so the, I think the the thing is is hearing about movies. How do we how do we learn about these things? And it's, this has always been the case with art house cinema. Right, but now that we have this great distribution capability, you know, we don't have to. You know, I used to be a member of. You guys remember um, what was the uh, facets? Remember facets in Chicago? Oh, sure, they, right on Fullerton. I used to go there all the time. Yeah, and you could be a mail member. They would mail you a mm-hmm. video, a VHS tape, that then you would send back and get another one. You know, you could get it for a couple of days, and you could rent like nationwide. Yeah, because kind of like a pre-Netflix. Yeah, with VHS tapes, because it was the only place you could find stuff. You know, <laughs> because if you wanted something weird, like a Peter Greenaway film or something, yeah, that's what you had to do. Uh, because you know we have Thomas Video here in, in Metro Detroit, but you know even they not didn't, anymore. You know, yeah, not, closed yeah, down. Just closed down a couple months ago. Um, but now we have all these all these wonderful things. But what are we doing with it? You know, so that to me is is kind of. Um, the, the the next hurdle is is you know you have filmmakers doing really interesting things and we've talked about a lot of really cool things in the last several episodes of this podcast but you know I think like how do we hear about these things how do we learn about them how do we you know support these artists who are who are making cool things um, rather than just complain because I know we're all complaining all the time about the crap that gets out it gets gets put out by the major studios right. Yeah, yeah. I just posted that fox versus the hedgehog philosophy post on my Facebook page. What's that? I don't know what that is. Oh, it's an LA, it's an LA Times piece that I'll link to, which talked about, uh, it's, it's, it's it's an, it's a nice analogy for the way that Hollywood thinks right now. Oh. Um, it's really, it's, it's, it's a really well written article. And I think once this momentum starts to carry, there might be eventually a cleansing of Mm -hmm. Hollywood. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, it's hard to say that because of the ownership yeah. paradigms and, you know, these are all corporations yeah. now. So the math to them is so clear cut, but I mean, it's just that simple. It's, you know, it's clear cut. They'd rather spend X to make X than, than take, you know, than do anything, anything outside, anything that's, you know, potentially risky is, is stupid. But the fact is, is that this sort of short sighted thinking, this, this lack of any sort of acumen, into the other side of the ledger, which is one side's business, the other side is, well, this is still an art form in many ways, yeah. too. And it's always been a shotgun marriage between the economics of the industry and the art of the industry. And once they realize that they're continually fucking uh, the, um, the the art artistic side of it in, in favor of these sort of crazy blockbusters that people, by and large, are... are, are oversaturated with ultimately maybe there may be a lesson to be learned. I don't know I'd like to think that there is I'd like to think that 10 years from now Hollywood will be different that it'll be it'll be like it was in the 70s embracing blockbusters as well as smaller independent films together yeah but who knows and and, (laughs) where do we go who knows fortunately the internet (laughs) is great for that you know i go there's so many review sites that i go to particularly reverse shot reverse shot's probably my favorite i i go there and look for cues on what to see 
We'll have to put a link to that in the show notes as well. And I can't wait to read the article you're talking about. It sounds great. I haven't I haven't seen it yet, so that's great. Yeah. Well, it was in the LA Times. Yeah, there's a couple of LA Times articles recently. You know, uh, there's that one, and there's one also about well, something that we've already covered, which is episodic television may offer the best uh, route forward for aspiring screenwriters as opposed to you know film. I, yeah, I would I would definitely agree yeah. with that. And I think the two issues are not unrelated. You know the yeah. the, the way Hollywood. Exactly. Oh yeah. yeah, they are totally related. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's great. Yeah, we can link to those in the show notes. I know. I feel like an old fogey, you know, harping about the the good old days when they used to make good movies. But I, you know, I, I feel that way. So it's true. So, yeah, it's true. So if you're interested, no, it's, in, it's, it's oh, true. It's, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, if you, if it's you're, it's true. That's all. <laughs> if you're interested in. Um, the one I love, or if you see it as a listener, if you see it and like it, um, I would recommend, I think, Jeff Who Lives at Home next. It's not nearly as bizarre. It's not Twilight Zoning or surreal, but it's, uh, you know, going back to that real thing that Chris mentioned earlier, it's, you know, there's there's like a human emotional core to it, which is kind of interesting. Um, and Cyrus is kind of interesting, too. It's kind of strange, but uh, that's that's where I would go, I think, after this for those guys. But um, yeah, I'm sure we'll we'll <laughs> I'm sure we'll continue to complain about these things in later episodes. But I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we talked about it. Oh, me too. Me too. It was a great Same suggestion. Here. Yes, indeed. Good. Thanks for doing that kind of course, you guys. I'm glad. I'm glad you you trusted me on this one. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> no, it's all right. Cool. We trust your judgment. SNL. Uh, this is the 40th anniversary of Saturday Night Live, uh, so which means that it's almost as old as us, <laughs> right? And I know all, yeah. all three of us definitely grew up with it, and uh, I thought it'd be a good idea to kind of share some of our favorite moments from uh, f- over the years of Saturday Night Live. Uh, uh, of course, there's no way to be inclusive. <laughs> right, like there's, you're, you're not going to get all of them, but um, I had three that immediately came to mind, and I, I think I asked you guys to do the same thing. So we're going to go through and just talk about those. So, right on. All right, because um, you probably all cool. we are probably all we probably all know each other's. Like when we describe them, we'll probably know what they are. I imagine. Oh, I, I'm sure we'll probably. Yeah, I would think so. Um, you never so know, though. Forty years, it's t- it might, yeah, true. You know, it's, it's, That's a lot of, uh, a lot of skits, skits there. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I think we all probably went in, like most people in in this. You know, we probably all went in and out of watching them. So, okay. um, so my number three is, or I guess it's number three, is the first citywide bank, and basically it's a um, it's a parody ad, and it's an ad for this bank. That just gives change. So they're like, if you come in with a 20, we can give you two tens or four fives or two fives and five and ten tens, whatever your change needs are. Right. And it's this whole, it's all, there are two of them. And it's so funny because it's like, that does sound hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. And then the, uh, one of them has testimony. A lot of people don't realize that change is a two way street. You can come to us with 16 quarters, eight dimes and four nickels. We can give you a $5 bill. We can give you five singles. 
or two singles, eight quarters, and ten dimes. You'd be amazed at the variety of options you have. I was driving through Pennsylvania on the tollway, and to save time, I was using the exact change lanes. I had just run out of quarters, and I was getting a bit nervous when I spotted a sign for a citywide branch at the next exit. Let me tell you, it's a pretty good feeling. I have had people come in with wrinkled $10 bills who want new crisp bills to put in birthday cards. And we can handle special requests like that, usually the same day. I just returned from a business trip to London, and all the cash I had was a five-pound note. Citywide wasn't able to convert it to dollars, but they did give me four guineas, two crowns, four shillings, and ten pence. All the time our customers ask us, how do you make money doing this? The answer is simple. Volume. That's what we do. So anyway, the, and the whole thing is, it's just ridiculous, right? And then the, the kind of the punchline in the second one is, people wonder how we make money. Well, the answer is simple. Volume. <laughs> that's great <laughs> i love that i i that's think one. i think i've seen it before but maybe just once when it originally aired and laughed my ass off but yeah off yeah. the top of my head i didn't immediately recall it i will definitely put links to all of these uh that we can find at least mm-hmm. on the show notes at that's rap show.com so people can see those so yeah that's one that's always stuck out for me i just think it's so funny yeah, as Nick and I were saying that it's it's so hard to find these, and they're they're. I think Nick, you use the 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 phrase, you know, they're scattered all around the internet, so they are very very difficult to find because of the you know the the copyright issues. Yeah, all the ones I found were on Yahoo, on uh, so there must be some licensing thing there or something. I think I'm so. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I found mine so- on Hulu. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love them. The newer ones are on Hulu for sure. And um, uh, yeah, yeah. I I didn't have any problems finding any except one. Okay, so that was uh, me. First Citywide Bank. It's the Change Bank. They just do change. Hilarious. What about you guys? What about uh, you, uh, Nick? Um, my my third choice is fairly recent, actually. Um, it's it's um from I forget which season. A couple of years ago. When uh, Anne Hathaway was was hosting, uh, they did a piece called "The Legend of Mokiki and the Sloppy Swish." <laughs> <laughs> you like that one? <laughs> I it's went, so silly. It's so stupid, uh, and I absolutely, yeah, I just kind of, I went, I went nuts for it. Um, it was, it was very silly. Mokiki does the sloppy swish. <laughs> Look at him. Is sung in sort of like a almost um, I don't know what, Caribbean sort of style, yeah. uh, and uh, it tells the story of this like guy. calypso music. Yeah, it's very calypso, um, and it tells the story of this guy who you know uh, named Mokiki, and he uh, <laughs> he gets experimented on, and um, he kind of just goes out in public in New York, and he does this very sort of creepy dance called the sloppy swish. And he kind of just yeah. walks around and does it everywhere, and he and he's he's really messed up looking, and he's got this gaze in his eyes, and and then like Anne Hathaway's got develops this little crush on him, and she tells him, you know, but he doesn't like he he can't speak or anything, and he winds up sort of like puking all this green stuff 
on her as she's like, I love you, Mokiki. And he just, just pelts her. Or something like that, right? Yeah. yeah. He just pelts her with all this venom, which is a side effect from all the, uh, I guess when he was in college, you know, he was doing all the, he was getting paid to do experimentations on him. And it turns her into like the female version of Mokiki. And so she walks around with him doing the sloppy swish. And it's just one of those, it reminds me of the first, several years of the simpsons the writing was just so out there and abstract sometimes you know that when i i saw this i was like oh my god that's that's genius and anne hathaway is fantastic in it too but you know i yeah. love her so uh i eric you and i talked about this one when it when it aired about how much we yeah enjoyed it. <clears throat> yeah 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 we talked about it i i, I watched that episode and i remember <laughs> seeing it um i kind of wish we had uh sent each other our our top three beforehand so we could watch them all but um it, it, yeah, because yeah, I haven't that, seen this one. The, yeah, Mokiki does the sloppy swish. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. I just remember watching, it going, um, "Okay, that's that's unusual." Yeah, it's it's really fun. It is good. It's a good. It's a good thing. It's just it's weird. You know, it is. It's Mokiki bizarre. Does the sl- and, and just it, the, and way the dance filmed, is so creepy. Yeah, yeah. It's because well, it's like one of those digital shorts. I don't know if it is a digital short, but it's it's shot in the street and parts. It's not all in the studio, so it's like you know, it's got this musical thing. There's dancing and all this. It's so odd. What's the, the actor? Is it Taron Taron Killam or Killian or something like that? I forget. He's the, the guy that plays Mokiki. There, there. Inter- when they were interviewing him, he about that particular piece. He said that. Um, yeah, it was like a dance he he did in college to creep people out, you know. And it really <laughs> does creep that. you That's out. Funny. I mean, it's a very, <laughs> you know, the way he's particularly with the way he's dressed. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's, it's something else. It's catchy. <laughs> That's great. That was from season thirty-eight. It was a couple of years two years ago. Um, Episode seven, according to the internet. So, oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll post it, and uh, and Chris, you can watch it on, the show, it on the show notes. Oh, that'd be good. great because I love Anne Hathaway. Yeah. Oh, oh me too. He does the sloppy swish. He does the sloppy swish. Oh, it's so stupid. <laughs> oh, good. What, what about you, Chris? Um, mine is from ten years ago, and it's um, the Debbie Downer when they go to Walt Disney World. <laughs> I didn't see that one. I remember oh, the very oh well. my god! It's a scream. Because, well, part of it is, and it, it, Lindsay Lohan was hosting, and she was so good, and Jimmy Fallon's on there, and they all just are erupting in giggles, and they're trying not to laugh, but uh. they can't stop themselves. And having lived in Florida, and you know, they they really kind of replicate the they they really make fun of the whole Disney thing. And we're like, oh, we're, we're at Disney World. And I mean, I was like, well, there's a virus going around that's killing everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's it's, it's wow. so funny. And I was I was watching it again, and I, I found a link to it on um, Boston.com. So I will I will um, get you guys that link. But oh my god, I was watching it before we got on on the air, and I was it was oh, a I can't scream. wait to read it, uh, watch it. I mean, yeah. Oh, it's so funny. It's, it's long too. It's it's about a good six minutes yeah. six yeah. minutes yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's really really good and uh the that that's my favorite debbie downer segment and they just they nail it they really really do and it just makes me laugh this was so hard to do though to yeah, nail it yeah down to three yeah so that's, really uh, hard. Uh, i'm looking at the uh i'm look, i just looked that up on on google and uh it's, uh, there's a screenshot of uh, Rachel Dratch's face, which is great. Gee, thanks. On uh, the Yahoo thing. But um, is this uh, 
It says Jim Carrey debuts his Halloween costume. Was Jim Carrey the host on that one? No, uh, Lindsay Lohan was the host. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, it okay. might it might be a skit with a uh, real sketch with Jim Carrey. Like you play someone playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lindsay curious. Lohan was uh, was was hosting. So I mean, this okay. was this was. Yeah, you know, I think it was oh four. It was oh four, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, the whole the whole. Uh, and Amy Poehler's in it too. She yeah, she's fantastic. Oh, okay. Yeah, she yeah, she's she's great. So this this is that's my number three. My that's my number three. Yeah, excellent. Uh, great. Yeah, that's good. I, I haven't seen. I don't know that one. I know the Debbie Downer character, but I don't know that sketch. Do you, uh, Nick? That sketch? No, that that one's eluded me. Um, although I do recall watching the Lindsay Lohan episode. Well, she hosted several times, but I remember um, watching most of them. And of course, I remember the character very well, but not so much. I don't yeah. remember the the Disney yeah. one specifically. Oh, man, I'm going to totally watch that later on. <laughs> that sounds great. It's great. great. Um, it's great. Um, okay, great, cool, excellent. So that was our threes, uh, twos. Who wants to go first or two? I'll go first. Uh, I okay. just want to start by saying that just in the last ten seconds, I was able to find on Yahoo. Thank you very much. Uh, Eric, not my number one, but I found Bill Hader and Keenan Thompson talking about their all-time favorite sketches, and oh, cool. they show it. <laughs> so, bam, found it uh, in a in a sort of you know circuitous way. <laughs> but my number two is, and you know, I would not doubt it. it seems so obvious and almost a completely on the nose choice. But sometimes the most obvious and on the nose choice is because it's really that phenomenal a skit. So I apologize to you guys if it's on your list. But come on, seriously. Uh, I Need More Cowbell is one of the yeah, greatest, sure. you know, all-time all yeah. skits that Saturday Night Live ever did. It, it, it's so great that, it, you know, it popped into my head as, you know, uh, immediately uh, as a top five. And then uh, it wound up being at number two. Uh, I, I can't imagine nobody that anybody's not familiar with the whole, the skit, but in case you're not, it's, it's, it's from a Christopher Walken hosted episode, uh, of which he did so many. And, um, you know, it's just a flashback to Bloyster Colt in the studio in the mid seventies and the recording, don't fear the reaper. And, uh, you know, Walken's in his sort of like typical over the top studio producer, uh, self. And, uh, you know, they keep doing these takes and he keeps talking about how he needs more cowbell, you know, and then, and Will Ferrell is the, you know, the guy with the cowbell. He's the percussionist with the cowbell. And of course he's saying stuff like, you know, I need more cowbell. <laughs> I got a fever. Yeah. And you know, if you haven't seen it, you got to check it out. We got a link for it. Well, um, he plays, yeah. And, and he plays Bruce Dickinson, right? He's, Bruce, yeah, he he's is supposed Bruce to be Bruce Dickinson. Right. Yes. Why he's Bruce Dickinson. I don't know. He's not even trying to be Bruce Dickinson. He's like, I'm Bruce Dickinson. Right. And it's a uh, blue oyster cult. Right. Yes. And then he's in there. <laughs> it's the don't fear the reaper song. Don't fear right? the reaper. And you know, it, of course the, 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 the way, the way he, it's hard to put it into words. You just have to watch it. I mean, the, the one of yeah. the great lines is like, you know, you know, how many songs have cow, you know, he's, cause he's really getting into that cowbell. And of course I've got a fever, the fever line. And you know, the prescription is more cowbell. <laughs> it's just, you know, if you haven't seen it, you have to watch it. It's, it's in yeah, the upper, definitely. upper, upper echelon of SNL skits. You know, One of the things that makes that sketch so great 
uh, especially when you rewatch it today, is is uh, Jimmy Fallon laughing. Oh yeah, he's constantly yeah. Uh, breaking up. He, I think he actually bites his uh, drumstick to he keep does. from laughing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Will Ferrell's jumping around. He's got his stomach showing. He's up in Jimmy Fallon's face. It's so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is a classic, and everybody should know that one. But if you don't, I mean, I'll we'll obviously link to it. But yeah, no, it's got to be in the list. I'm glad someone had it in their list because yes. I didn't have it in mine because it was so obvious. It's but I'm so glad obvious. You did. Yeah. I'm glad one of you did. So that's good. good. Me too. Um, yeah. Uh, Chris, do you have any thoughts on Cowbell? Uh, I've actually only seen Cowbell once. Uh, <laughs> It was a long time ago, so I got to revisit it. I think I showed but it to you, Chris, over at your You place. did show yeah. it. That's the one time I've seen it is when you showed it to me oh. way, way back oh, when I was living in Sterling Heights. Yeah, it was a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. It's from 2000, and it holds up. You can watch it. It's just It really just holds up because it's so silly, you know? Oh, God. Uh, it's great. Um, I'll tell you my number two, or uh, unless you want to go, Chris, doesn't really matter. Go for it, Eric. Uh, cool. My number my number two is uh, it's a Jim Carrey hosted episode, and uh, uh, top of my head, I don't know what year it was, but uh, Jim Carrey is playing James Stewart. Have you seen this one? Mm. Um, it's um. I don't know this one. Okay, so it's the it's the Joe it's the Joe Pesci show. Okay, so, so oh yeah, playing. okay, okay. <laughs> okay, do you remember the Joe Pesci show? Yeah, I uh, loved it. I loved that show. Oh my god! Every time he'd look at the <laughs> look at the camera, <laughs> his cigar would go from up to down, and he'd look yeah. at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. So it was it was. Uh, uh, Show. I'm Joe Pesci, huh? Nice, huh? Got my desk here, got my mic here, got my ice pick here. I got everything. Okay. Is it Jim Brewer? Is that who plays Jim Joe Brewer? Pesci? Yeah, it's so yeah. funny. Jim Brewer plays Joe Pesci, and then um, you have so in this particular one, it's it's Jim Carrey playing Jimmy Stewart. Okay, and he comes out all old and hunched over, and he's like, "I got a poem I want to read, right?" And all this stuff. I have a poem, <laughs> and I had a, you know, and I had a story. But since uh, I'm going to be around here next week, you go ahead. And then it's 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 a silly good Jimmy Stewart impression. But then Mark McKinney comes out as Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay, okay, so you got Mark McKinney playing Jim Carrey, like. Doing the whole talking with his butt, like rah, mugging and all this. This is around the time Cable Guy came out, mm-hmm. and uh, right. So then, Jim Carrey, as Jimmy Stewart, gets up and goes, "I'll show you an impression," and does an impression of Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. So it's Jim Carrey <laughs> as Jimmy Stewart doing a Jim Carrey impression. I'm like, look at me! Oh, I need all the attention in the world. Pay attention to me! Ah. It's really, it's really, really brilliant. <laughs> There's an impression for you. <laughs> I'm Jim Carrey. I'll do anything for a laugh. I need attention 24 hours a day. Look at me! Look at me! Ah! Ah! 
I can't wait to see it. And then it devolves into a bunch of uh, silly violence because it's the Joe Pesci show. Right. But that, but seeing Jim Carrey play Jimmy Stewart, playing Jim Carrey, you know, doing an impression of Jim Carrey is it's really great. It's really really funny. I just rewatched it the other day preparing for this. It was can't wait to see that one too. It's good stuff. Yeah. So that's my number two. Nice choice. Uh, the, that the the Joe Pesci show was was a was a little gem for a while. Yeah, it had a tendency to devolve. Uh, well, it was supposed to devolve into violence, but then the violence mm-hmm. made as usual. It suffered from the SNL you know disease of going on too long. And so, yes, uh, and right. I think they had Pesci on there one time and De Niro, which was quite funny. If I remember correctly, they, they they showed up and it's like you know, it's a little bit, little bit, little bit. It's not that funny, you know. And they're doing their whole thing, and uh, I know, I know they were on there. So yeah, yeah, they were. Uh, you know, which is when it gets funny, and you know, it's already tired at that point, right? Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. But it was it was that that particular one. That was from 1996. And so, you know, uh, also just side note, uh, Eric. Uh, Carrie killed it over the weekend. I mean, he was fan over this past weekend. Oh uh, yeah, I've only seen one uh, sketch, but yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I watched the whole show, and you know, when they string ninety percent of a show together, that's above average. That's like a grand slam for SNL. Yeah, and, no kidding. And it was no it, it was you know from top to bottom. I mean, Carrie was really excellent. I mean, he just shined, shone. Whichever <laughs> <laughs> shined, shined. Yeah. Yes, I think right. I no, think no, so. whatever. I think shined. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, no, good. I'm looking forward to seeing that. You probably that saw one. the the McConaughey. Is that the one you saw? No, the one I no. saw was the family re- family reunion. That was cute. Yeah, yeah. So cool. Uh, so Chris, what's your number two? My number two is I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I have a tie. If that's cheat. okay. Yeah, I know, I'm totally cheating. fine. I didn't rank mine either. I just I'm just throwing them in random. <laughs> both both of these um, aired uh, before I started watching it. They're both from the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is um, uh, is not actually a skit, but it's an appearance when um, Elvis Costello appeared the first time, and he was he stopped the 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 first yep. song that he was playing and he it's launched famous. into Radio Radio. Mm-hmm. So that I I adore. I I I watch that. I'm a big, a, a pretty big Elvis Costello fan. Okay. Um. So that's that's a, a big favorite of mine. And then the second one is um because it's so ridiculous, and I I think I can actually get away with liking this one um because I'm Japanese. But that's Samurai Delicatessen. Oh yeah. With with John Belushi, John, John Belushi. Right, yeah, because right. it's so. I, I, I saw all of those. It's so when they, when they aired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I didn't, but uh, I, uh, I I've actually gone back to it a lot of times because it's 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 so ridiculous. You know, just just because of the fact everything's so over the top. It's it's such so it's such silly stereotyping of 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 like the Japanese samurai, but. Um, I, I am Japanese, so I guess I feel like I can laugh at it a little bit more. Um, but it, I just, I love it. It, it I, I laugh at it over and over and over again. And I mean, of course, I was a big fan of John Belushi, but when he whips out that sword and goes, ah, clip. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You always see that in clips of like, oh, the seventies, right? That's always the clip. Always one of the clips you see. That is the clip you see, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's it's so iconic, um, and it's just it's it's uh, yeah. It's it's great. So of course, yeah. You know, like I said, I was I was born in the mid seventies, so I didn't uh, see these when they originally aired. 
uh, or if I did, I was two, so I don't remember them. But um, they, uh, I, I go back and watch a lot of the the reruns, and uh, they're they're a lot of fun. So those are the two that I really really like. I feel like they did a lot, like of, did uh, a lot of uh, kind of more risque more stuff in the seventies, or maybe it's risque in a different way, especially with racial stereotypes. You know, some. Of oh my god! Like when uh, Richard Pryor was on there yeah. with. Um, with Chevy Chase and they yeah. did the word association. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I was just, you know, I was just showing Heather that one. Um, cause that made almost, you know, an honorable mention. And I, you know, you're floored because they're saying things on Saturday night live on the air that they could never get away with saying today. Yeah. There, there's yeah. absolutely just no way, no way. Yeah. Couldn't do. Yeah. And you wonder if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? You know, have we evolved to the point where it's it's good that you can't say those things, or is it like you know we're so se- overly sensitive that you can't do those things anymore? I don't know. It, it right. was pretty crazy stuff, though, right? right? Oh, it was. It was. And seeing that, I mean, that's a great skit too, because knowing how much Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase hated each other, mm-hmm. it it just makes the skit, I think, even funnier. Yeah, it was. Good well, I didn't know that. Let's go back and look at that. That's great. So that was that was a tie for two for you. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so now we're at one. Is that right? Dun, da, da, da. Dun, da, I think so. Uh, who wants to go first? I'm not me. I went first last time. I'll go first. Uh, all right. So my number one skit is actually one that Nick introduced me to. Uh, I think Nick is gonna. I think Nick can guess what it is. Nick, do you want to take a quick venture and get and guess mentally? Do you think you know what it is? I bet I do. Okay, you probably do. And it's I a segment that uh, was it, it was on there twice. Go yeah, on, Nick. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. No, no, I, I got it. I know what it is. He knows what it is. And it was with um, uh, Molly Shannon and yeah. Alec Baldwin, and that's the delicious dish. No sweaty balls. Yeah, the sweaty balls <laughs> of the balls. sweaty weeder. Yeah, they parody um, the Splendid Table from NPR. Which, funny enough, the Splendid Table is one of my favorite shows. <laughs> but uh, they they na- they nail it, hit the nail on the head with that show with with their parody. And then Alec Baldwin comes on, and I have no idea how these people stayed uh, we, we kept a straight face through this. That was just. It's such a, uh, it's so funny, and they're 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 just deadpan, and they're right on, and I I, I would have been dying, and uh, so sweaty balls and sweaty wiener are <laughs> my my top. It almost made my list. Yeah. Oh my god! It's so fun. I can't wait to taste your sweaty balls. Oh my god! Is in fact, I almost was going to put it on and thought to myself, "I bet Chris is going to put." (laughs) No, really? (laughs) Yeah, because I love the sweaty balls. Yeah, I mean Baldwin almost always tears it up on SNL. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, he's so good. And that one's that one. That one is my all-time favorite. When I'm feeling down, I can look at. I can. I because I have those both of those clips saved somewhere. And I can bring them out and uh, and uh, whip out the sweaty balls, and it it <laughs> makes me laugh. See, even saying that just makes you laugh. You know, whip out, whip out, my whip out the sweaty balls. <laughs> oh God, that's so funny! I'm gonna watch it again after the show. <laughs> it's, just, it's so funny. <laughs> They're very delicate. <laughs> 
Chris loves sweaty balls. This is so funny. They really, they just get it so perfectly. Oh my god. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm okay. We should have made him go last. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Whoever's next, Eric, you. I'll go go next because this was Eric's idea. Okay, he should get the pole position. Uh, My number one favorite of all time is actually number one. If I had to rank rank them, I mean, this is this is it for me. It's Jackie Roger Jr.'s hundred thousand dollar jackpot wad, uh, which is without from nineteen eighty four. Is I I it's my favorite skit they ever did. Um, it's, it, it stars Jackie Roger Jr.'s with Martin Short imported that character over from, uh, SCTV. And the skit also has, oh God, it's got Billy Crystal as Sammy Davis Jr., which I, I absolutely, when he does Sammy, it's the best. I know what you're talking about. And then uh, Rajiv Dillou is played by about. Christopher, Christopher Guest plays the, 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 the Hindu contestant. Yes. And Captain Kangaroo is brilliantly portrayed by Jim Belushi. And then the girl Mindy, that's opposite uh, Captain Kangaroo, is Mary Gross. And I mean, you don't want to be around me when I when when it comes on because I just I just I, I turn into Chris. I just start immediately <laughs> laughing my ass off. And it all starts when Captain Kangaroo gets pissed, <laughs> and that's because it it, uh, it it you know it's 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 sort of like um, the twenty five thousand dollar pyramid. You're giving clues. And, uh, I'll just read from you from the transcript since we don't have it here, but the, it, it's just so funny. I'll, I'll do my best. So, uh, the, the, the category, so the category is, um, uh, things you find in a circus. And so the ca- Captain Kangaroo says, okay, okay, this is a funny guy. He wears a red hat and a big clown. And then she says, a clown. Ding. Correct. And he says, okay, uh, these people work above the crowds. They swing from a bar. Monkeys. No, they're people. They swing from a bar. They use a net. They wear tights. I don't know. <laughs> Captain Kangaroo goes, next one. <laughs> he gets pissed. <laughs> And then he says, okay, this man introduces the axe. He wears a red, a clown. No, no, no. He introduces the act. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all the ages, top hat microphone. I don't know. I can't think of anything. He introduces the act. The captain starts going nuts. And it's just, I don't know. I I lose it from that point forward. And then, of course, there's this great number, uh, uh, great little bit where um, Sammy Davis Jr. says, uh... (laughs) Okay, this is a a little hot spicy number, and then the guy goes Rita Moreno, <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and he's like, "No, babe, it comes from a cucumber. They let it sit in a barrel, so you know it, it becomes something else, <laughs> a, a caterpillar." Anyhow, um, I can't really do Sammy, but I was trying. Chocolate babies. Oh my god. Anyhow, I found a skit. I found a clip where Bill Hader is citing it as one of his favorite of all time. So. That's that's great. Yeah. Yeah, we'll link to that if we can find it. Right. You said you found it, right? Found yeah, it. Good, good, good. Okay, my number one really is the number one as well. It's it's really my all time favorite SNL skit. And it's from nineteen eighty uh seven, I wanna say I'm pretty sure it's nineteen eighty seven. And um <laughs> So I'm going to be like Chris now, too. I'm going to start laughing just thinking about it. But it's got Phil Hartman and Jan Hooks, um, and they're sitting around having a date. I don't know if you guys know this one. And I don't know this one. Oh, I do remember this one. I don't this know this one. one. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Okay, so while well, I'm leading up to it, you might know it when I, when I, when I drop it. But So there's, they're having a date. At, they're, they're at the house, and whatever, they'll say something. Like Phil Hartman will say something, and what he's really thinking comes on in voiceover, right? 
Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. You know, Leslie, I could talk to you for days. Gee, I'd like to jump her bones. Same here. You know, I haven't even noticed the time. Gee, I wish he'd jump my bones. But then the roommate, his roommate comes home, and his roommate is Joe Montana. So this is the Joe Montana. <laughs> yes. I remember. Yeah. So <laughs> Joe Montana plays this really sincere guy so there there's this whole thing where the, what they're really thinking is in the voiceover and they he introduces him and he's like it's really nice to meet you and the voiceover says it's really nice to meet her oh uh i hope i'm not disturbing you i hope i'm not disturbing them <laughs> no not at all god he's gonna scare her away uh Stu, this is leslie leslie Stu. hi i'm very glad to meet you I'm very glad to meet her. <laughs> Everything he says, the voiceover is exactly the same. There's like no subtext at all. So they're like, um, so she's thinking about spending the night and she could stay in my room. Like she could stay on the couch, but that's going to bother you because she could stay in my room. And he's like, the voiceover is like, come on, you schmuck. Just say it. It'll bother you. So she'll stay in my room. And he's like, oh, it's okay if she stays out here. It won't bother me. And the voiceover's like, it's okay if she stays out here. It's okay. It won't bother me. <laughs> and the and the punchline oh, is, like, yeah. they're all mad at him. I remember the punchline. And punch the punchline is, like, he's mm-hmm. going upstairs, and they're like, okay, well, I hope we don't bother you. We're going to sit up and talk. He's like, oh, you won't disturb me. I'll be in my room masturbating. They won't disturb me. I'll be masturbating. Oh, God, I remember watching that live, you know, as it aired. God. Every time I think about that sketch, I I laugh. And I just watched it to prepare for this the other day. And I'm like, this is just as funny as when it aired in 1987. (laughs) Just this idea of this guy. Like, everything he says is what he thinks. And then it goes the reverse. That's what I think is so funny. The reverse, then, is also what he thinks is what he says. Because who would say that, right? It's so great. I'll no, put a, I'll put a, yep, I, awesome. I found it on Yahoo. I'll put a link to that on the show notes at thatsrapshow.com as well. <laughs> you don't know that one, Chris? Oh, God. I you don't know that so one, but it sounds so great. Good, good. So, um, do you guys have favorite casts? Uh, I have the favorite anomaly cast of all time, which was the one I just mentioned that the Billy Crystal, Martin Short, Christopher Guest, mm-hmm. Harry Shearer season. Yeah. Where they all just wanted to be on SNL for a year and did some of the greatest shit that the show had ever yeah. seen. Smelt Night. Have you guys ever seen Smelt Night? Oh, I mean, that's, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Smelt Night was, a, or or I'm not a very strong swimmer. The whole synchronized swimming, you know, you guys, you I mean dun 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 dun. You guys know that. I don't one? know that one. No. The, the, oh my no, god, with Martin Short. Oh geez, that's hilarious. Oh man, Martin Short and Harry Shearer. They're trying to. They're, uh, all right, I'll. I'll talk. That would be my favorite anomaly season because it just existed for a half a second and gave us some of the like you know best stuff I, I think we ever saw. Yeah, yeah. Fernando's hideaway and oh, all yeah. of Billy's incredible <laughs> impersonations. Yeah. Oh my god, Martin Short. Yeah, those are. Uh, yeah, that that was a good season actually. Now that you mention it, I can't really pinpoint a favorite. You know, I like particular. Excuse me. I, I like particular actors or, you know, comedians or whatever. Um, I really liked, you know, most of the Will Ferrell years. I liked, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously the Jim Belushi days were, you know, were great, and the and the original cast were were amazing. Um, but um, I don't know. I find they 
the quality goes up and down, but there's always something to laugh mm-hmm. at, you know. Yeah. So, um, you know, we didn't really mention. Um, no, I forgot his name. <laughs> Chris Farley. We didn't really mention Chris Farley. You know, the whole, mm-hmm. you know, you want to be like me living in a van down by the oh, river? God. Yeah, I mean, you that's know? that's priceless. Yeah, that is. And that, that he one, did that a lot. And that has Phil kids. Hartman he, in he it, and too. Sam and Phil Hartman busts out yeah. in that one. He's really treating until he's trying not to laugh mm-hmm. when he. When Chris, uh, when uh, Chris Farley jumps on the table and breaks it, right? Oh God! Yeah. When when Farley would do his uh, skipper from Gilligan's oh, Island, yeah. it would kill me. Or or when he and Adam Sandler would play that old couple, yeah. and then <laughs> and, you know, like he'd be she'd be reading from like the Zagat guy. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Lord, kill me now. Oh my God, that was yeah. Farley was just a genius. I love it when he would do that. The 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 big huge guy with the glasses yeah. um, on, uh, not the van. Down by the river, but the guy on the uh, the weekend yes. update who would use the air qu- the air quotes for yeah. everything. I'm not handsome, and I don't smell good, <laughs> and and I'm not skinny. Yeah, that uh, yeah that that and was he's my like, favorite. Kevin, I'm flying, I'm flying. <laughs> they lift him up into the air. So many years <laughs> of incredible, incredible comedy, right? And they steep, and they you know, like I said, it's up and down, but they still come up with some great stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, testament to last weekend was yeah. hilarious. It was, uh, and and they still get the musical acts. You know, it's like, yeah, SNL it's not going anywhere. You know, I didn't like Justin Timberlake until I saw him on SNL. Like, and it was like his third time. Oh too, yeah, exactly. You know, same here. Yeah, I was not a fan, and but then his SNL appearances and then his sort of slow sort of launch into film uh, have converted me. You know, I I like JT quite a bit. Me too. Yeah, definitely. The whole dick in a box thing and I mean all that. Veganville, oh, yeah, going yeah. back to Veganville. Vegan, Veganville. Veganville. Yeah, that's uh anyway. Or or when he and uh um uh, Jimmy do uh you know, the Gibb brothers, you know, that's hilarious. Yeah. The the nights on Broadway, yeah. Wasn't it Justin Timberlake who did the the Christmas one where he's raising money for homelessville or something like that? Could be, yeah, bring it on down to Is homelessville. That Could make sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that was Justin Timberlake. I I came in and out when it came to to SNL. I would I <clears throat> I usually uh, I almost rarely watch it live. I I usually would watch it on rerun, uh, not reruns, but I watch it afterwards mm-hmm. on the internet. Um, ju- yeah, uh, just because I was I was I was a lot of times I was doing something else on Saturday, so um, I caught a lot of things like clips. It it was it's actually. Um, I've probably only seen maybe a handful of actually sh- of actual shows live um, in my lifetime. I just I usually would watch the clips, or I would watch. Uh, it's I, it's I would interesting watch it that with the internet now, like I think that the the skits that really people respond to probably float to the top via sharing social sharing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, having a having a DVR has always helped too because I would I would DVR it and then I would watch it either on Sunday or usually usually on Sunday. Well, I mean, who's I, who has time on a Saturday night to sit around with SNL? I mean, we I I me, didn't I did I, I, and then I, I, I didn't <laughs> and now I do again. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. me. Yeah, I did for a long time. I mean, a long time from the mid seventies to the mid to late eighties. Then left, then came back. I mean, I often used to get together over at friends' houses and you know, played in bands, so we would get, you know, we get a lot of uh, alcohol and stuff, and 
and a, a jam, and then we'd sort of like take a break and watch SNL, and, ha- and you drink some, and then go back to jamming and stuff like that. And so I mean, it's like I never, it never really got off of my landscape. Um, I, I often, you know, will just will watch it. Uh, I I didn't miss an episode last season. I didn't miss one the year before, the year before. I mean, I just I'm a, I I kind of like yeah, watch it all the time. Um, I might be out on a Saturday night, but then like the next day I'll. I'll tune in and watch it. I particularly enjoy watching Weekend Update. That's, you know, but the, you know, once, once they get a nice rhythm going with that, somebody invariably leaves and then it becomes awkward for another couple of seasons until they find the right chemistry. Uh, and that's where they're at right now. Yeah, they're, I agree. There's a, there's a chemistry issue going on. Uh, you're definitely right about that. But I also think that with Wicked Update, those, the, the guests they mm-hmm. have come in, like the, the fake yeah. guests, with the exception of Stefan, yeah, I think most of them stupid, are stupid. Yes. Yeah. With the exception of Stefan, I think they're mostly stupid. And as soon as somebody rolls in on their chair, hey, Stefan, blah, yeah. blah, blah, I'm like, oh, new cast member trying to make his spot. Eh, I'm going to fast forward yeah, it this. It doesn't you know? generally um, work. And I used to love yeah, when Norm exactly. McDonald was doing the single, you know? Yeah. Um, Yes. Norm, you know, and when Norm would make his little note to self, you know, move to, move to more friendly Norm McDonald town. I mean, just all those little notes to self. (laughs) (laughs) He was great. He was really great when that, yeah. Good. Uh, all right. Well, I'm really glad we did this because we got a good laugh. Yeah. We still have to shout, throw a shout out to our honorable mentions. Oh, are we not, not done, yet? done yet? All right, what are well, your animals? I'm just gonna. All right, what are your animals? List them. I don't. I, yeah, go Very, ahead. Well, I didn't give any shout outs to the '70s, and that's of course when I started watching it. Uh, it was kind of it was a real marathon. There, you used to, I, you know, you go over to your buddies, or your buddies would come over to your place. You'd have a sleepover, <clears> and you would do the marathon. You know, you'd like, at least we would sort of, you know, stock up on like uh, sugar to keep us going. And, and then, you know, we'd make it through Saturday Night Live. And then it, here in Detroit, we'd also get Saturday Night Dead, which was the, you know, the, tel- the, the televised um, horror movie that would come on after it. And that's typically when we'd fall asleep because it would be, well, it'd be one o'clock. So, um, so my shout out to the seventies is probably Little Chocolate Donuts. Um, it's just that really great little skit where John Belushi's winning like the decathlon, you know, you guys ever see this? And afterwards, he's smoking a cigarette. I think I did. He's like, you know, I won a lot of medals that day, and I ate a lot of chocolate donuts, little chocolate donuts. (laughs) Those of you who know it, uh, you know exactly where I'm I'm going with that, and and I'll put a link uh, to that as well. And then I think my other, you know, honorable mention might be Happy Fun Ball from from the mid-'80s. You guys remember Happy Fun Ball? No. Oh God, that used to be a joke among my friends and I. The the classic line was "Do not taunt Happy Happy Funball." Happy Funball brilliantly like uh, um, predicted the ridiculous um, disclaimers that accompany like prescription drugs these days. You know, may cause like your testicles to fall off and severe blindness and uh, you know you know like those ridiculous. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Happy Funball was the same thing. It was like. Happy fun ball. It, it, it was like happy fun ball, you know, and then it, there's this incredibly laundry, laundry list of things you can't do to happy fun ball. Happy fun ball is not legal in the following <laughs> states. Happy fun ball is this. If happy fun ball leaks a, 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 a phosphorescent 
liquid. Please do not touch. Oh. Do not taunt. Happy fun ball. I, mean, Happy- I remember that. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't know that one. Yeah. I don't remember that. Happy fun ball was the best. And our favorite always of all time that. was like, that's do hilarious. not taunt. Happy fun ball. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that one now. That's hilarious. Oh, that's good. I don't. Ha- I don't have any honorable mentions. I guess if I did, I would, the only one, only honorable mentions I would have is one I never even saw until yesterday, when we were talking. I was talking about this to Rebecca, and she mentioned the one with Sting. Uh, uh, it's Kevin Nealon uh, is in an elevator with Sting, and he's like, "Hey, you're Sting, aren't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, you know." And he's like, oh, "Okay, you know." And he keeps going on like, "I really love you know Roxanne. It's really good, stuff. you know." And blah, blah, blah. and then he's. Just, <laughs> you know, you know this is all in an elevator, right? Yeah, and then uh, the the door opens and Dana Carvey walks you're in. Sting, aren't you? yep. Oh, you're Sting, Yeah. Oh, you're Sting, right? And he starts singing uh, something else. And uh, so they're just singing in the elevator while Sting just sits there all embarrassed, you know, kind of like, oh, my God, what the that hell? That one, too. That's, that was cute. Yeah, I just saw it, saw it for the first time yesterday. I love it. So, What about you, Chris? Uh, my two would have to be um, the Hanukkah song. Um, back from '94, uh, when Sandler first performed it, um, and uh, I, I actually was watching that live, and I loved it. Uh, and then Mr. Robinson's yeah. Neighborhood. Oh yeah, yeah. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Murphy. I almost did James Brown's Too Hot in the Hot Tub. <laughs> oh yeah, you know I, I'm such a such a fan of the Eddie Murphy stuff, and and Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood really kind of. <laughs> That was great. <laughs> oh God, I'd like to live in your hood. I'd like to live in your hood one day, but when I move in, you all move away. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Eddie Murphy stuff. Oh God, was, oh, when he's like Buckwheat. Oh, any of any of Eddie Murphy stuff would. Oh my God, it would. I, I just I would laugh and laugh and laugh and. Uh, but Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood was probably my favorite. But those are my two. Uh, those are my two. Eddie's uh, all-time greatest yeah, might have been that great. brilliant yeah. short where you know they he, they 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 make him look white. They do white face on him, and of course he goes out and uh, enjoys all the privileges of being white. You know, like you guys ever see that? Oh my god, it's a masterpiece. You ever see that one? Uh, no, it sounds great. Oh, though. Chris, no, no, that I have. Oh, that's seen. legendary. Yeah, no. I mean that's that's we we really need to link to that. That's one of the all-time <clears throat> great SNL skits too. And and uh, it was really hard to just choose a few. These these aren't any. You know, I'm not arguing these are the best or anything. My choices, they're just my favorite. Yep, personal yeah. favorites. Yeah, of course. Yep, of course. yep. Oh, that's great. Uh, you know, I hope they do another forty years. God, I'll be what <laughs> you know? eighty-four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's craziness. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening yes. to that's a wrap episode number twenty-nine. Uh, chime in on the comments at that's a wrap show dot com and uh, tell us what we missed or some of your favorites. I mean, everybody's got favorites for for SNL, yes, of course, right? going to be an underrepresented list there's just three of us and we only chose chose so that's nine out of 40 million skits yeah how gosh however many right yeah and stay tuned next week for episode 30 where we're gonna uh talk about porn uh at my insistence because the roman numeral for 30 is xxx so i wanted to do that so (laughs) so chase i think we're going to talk about lars von cheer's nymphomania and then we're going to talk about porn in general so 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 stay tuned next week or in two weeks for that as well. <laughs> All right. 
for that's a wrap. I'm Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Cullen. All right. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. Cut. That's a wrap. <laughs>